Barely a week passes without stories about record-breaking prices in Auckland's housing market. The average price of houses sold has risen 20% in a year, with the median price now three-quarters of a million dollars, ten times the mean household income of Aucklanders. It's been estimated the 40% of extra households expected to be set up in Auckland in the next 25 years won't be able to afford to buy a home. Policies rolled out so far have made no noticeable impact. An insight this week looks at who will build the affordable homes Auckland needs. So this is a, a, a large five-bedroom house. We're just doing the ground, so it's all ready to go. We're just putting in the lawns. Greg Freeman's proud of the homes the Housing Foundation is building in Auckland. People are moving into four-bedroom homes with two bathrooms, double glazing, all mod cons, for $460,000, many on or near the water's edge. And this is in Auckland, where homes have never been further out of reach of many first-time buyers. I'm Todd Nile, and in this insight, I'll be looking at who will build the affordable homes that tens of thousands of Aucklanders need. Part of the answer is here at Waimahia Inlet in suburban Weymouth, half an hour's drive from downtown Auckland. So all this wetlands, this is the we, we've developed this from from just bare pasture. Waimahia Inlet will be home for nearly 300 lower-income households, tenants, and first-time buyers. So we've got three bedrooms upstairs, the full bathroom upstairs and the full bathroom downstairs. So this is um, a young couple, Heather and Sebastian. Um, they purchased this house off the plans probably about uh, nine months ago now. And uh, they're almost um, ready to take over. In fact, uh, next week they'll be getting the keys and, uh, and moving in. Heather and Sebastian are a working couple with an almost two-year-old daughter, Ava, and a second child on the way. Like thousands in Auckland, they felt the dream of home ownership slipping away. When we initially started looking, I suppose there wasn't really an option for us to get on the market at all due to the 20% deposits, which is a lot of money, especially considering the, the prices on the Auckland market. If you're looking at, at a, ha a house that you want to live in and it is big enough, then you're easily looking at a deposit of, uh, well, 20% over 100 grand, which is a lot of money if you're starting to, to buy something. They signed up last year for a four-bedroom home developed by the non-profit Housing Foundation. They realise if they'd waited, their chance to buy for $460,000 would have gone. Yeah, again, I think we probably would have been priced out because the prices have gone up considerably. So I think, yeah, we were very lucky to be able to purchase when we did because, yeah, I think things have, again, this year gone even crazier than they were. So perfect timing and we were very, yeah, great opportunity and very lucky to, to be able to get involved in it, I guess. We'll come back to Waimahia Inlet shortly. First, let's look at the scale of the affordable housing problem. Auckland is building homes at a rate not seen for a decade. There's been a steady climb since the global financial crisis, when in 2009, fewer than 3,500 homes were consented, now an annual rate of more than 8,000. But prices continue to soar. Average sale prices have risen 20% in a year. Larry Murphy is Professor of Human Geography at Auckland University. He says there's a problem with the main thrust of policy so far. One is the view that has become quite popular that if we build lots of houses that will become affordable. I think that's a bit of a myth. 
Uh, I think in reality what we produce are expensive houses and they continue to be expensive and that's partly because of the economics of development and the incentives of the developers. So I don't think relying on just production of housing will make things affordable. Auckland's Deputy Mayor Penny Hulse has led much of the council's work over the past five years on the future shape of housing. She says it's clear that the free market, left to its own devices, will not build affordable housing. Developers still need to make their cut. Land is incredibly expensive but going up in value all the time. Some people are making more money by leaving their land um, without houses on it than starting to build. And simply the market isn't geared up to provide affordable housing at the, the rate that's needed. The recipe for affordable housing has a lot of ingredients and needs almost as many cooks. Some elements sound pretty dry but are critical, like Auckland's unitary plan, the rule book for the future shape of the city. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You guys, you have asked the council comes here to listen. Not everyone liked the unitary plan when its draft in 2013 outlined the higher housing density needed to accommodate up to one million people in Auckland over the next 25 years. But higher density, more homes per hectare of land, is a crucial part of the equation. David Gibbs is the chair of the New Zealand Institute of Architects Urban Issues Group. One of the very most important um, aspects of the unitary plan is to provide affordable housing for Aucklanders. It's not just to get the politically correct planning form for the city, which happens to be a compact city, but it's far more important that we have a sustainable uh, form of city in the long term, and that means an affordable one. He says land is a big reason why terrace housing can be cheaper than standalone homes. A typical terrace house requires a site of, of in the order of 180 square metres, whereas the smallest standalone site is uh, 280 square metres, and that's less than um, what the public are used to. It's more like 400 that the public are used to. There will be typically $100,000 difference in the land price of those two types of housing in favour of the terraced house. There are already good examples of the affordability that higher density can deliver. This is our response to the Auckland housing crisis. It's all I'm in Mount Wellington with Peter Jeffries, the chief executive of Court, the Community of Refuge Trust. Court builds and provides rental homes for some of Auckland's neediest and this new development shows how affordability can be achieved. We've uh, purchased two old state houses and we've taken those away and then we've gone and built 11 one and two bedroom uh, units in its place. This is one of the upstairs units we'll go into first so we've done an internal uh, staircase in here but they're all 50 square, the one bedrooms are 50 square uh, metres which as you can see we're, again when they're well designed very spacious. You get a balcony as well? Yep, yep, very much so. We've, uh, we've got double glazed windows throughout. We maximise out on the um, insulation. But yep, the balcony, we've put a couple of shutters. Again, just to offer a little bit more uh, privacy to both the tenants and to the neighbours outside. There's nothing cut price here apart from the price itself. The price on these are for the one bedrooms are in the uh, low 300s and the two bedrooms is uh, in the high 300s. So that's generally a lot cheaper than what you're currently able to buy the similar sort of things off the market. 
I think when we look at the market out there, generally one bedrooms are now going in the 400s and two bedrooms are in the 500s. So again, community sort of not-for-profit uh, result here is definitely more affordable housing. But this is just what it's cost you to build, or if you were to put these on the market and make a bit of a margin, that's, that's the price? Well, I think if we put them on the market, then yeah, we would be making a 20-25% sort of uh, profit on terms of our cost. The combination of higher density and a charitable developer making no or little profit has significantly cut the cost of creating this affordable rental housing. Let's go back to Waimahia Inlet, where a variation of that formula is at work for first home buyers like Heather and Sebastian. This is a home that's um, habitat a building. So, uh, Think of Waimahia as a showcase of affordable and community housing. It's unique, former crown land now owned by the Tamaki Collective of 13 Iwi, with the not-for-profit housing foundation as the developer. The scale is also unique. Nearly 300 homes, some for sale on the open market, others restricted to first home buyers and social homes via a range of community providers, supported by a $29 million grant from the government's social housing fund. The project manager, Greg Freeman, says the foundation's profit margin is smaller than a commercial developer and helps fund future development. The Housing Foundation is very keen to remain in this partnership. We think we've got a really um, a model that works. We're looking for land uh, around Auckland so that um, we can replicate what we're doing here. The partners here are of a mind that we would like to do this again, uh, but we need land. We need to be able to access land and we're actively canvassing and, and lobbying council and government and, and other institutions around to, to try and get some land. It's an encouraging story. Little wonder it's often cited by politicians. But let's keep the 300 homes at Waimahia in perspective. Auckland will be home to an estimated 400,000 extra households by 2040. Research five years ago forecast only a third of them will be able to afford to buy a house outside the so-called affordable band, a cap now around $550,000. 40% probably won't be able to afford to buy a house at all. It's estimated that even households earning the median income, now around $78,000, will need some sort of subsidy to become homeowners. This report shows we're about 1000 ahead. The government's first big policy initiative to tackle Auckland's housing shortage and its rising prices was the accord it struck with the Auckland Council. It was driven by a belief that increasing the supply of land ready to build on would speed up building and ease rising prices. Two years into its three years of creating special housing areas with fast-track planning processes, it is meeting the target of either homes consented or sections created. House prices are rising faster than ever, and Auckland University's Larry Murphy is not surprised. Policy makers have kind of emphasised that if we can just produce more houses, house prices will drop. But I think that is empirically not the case. And I think a lot of the models, too, of economic um, pricing shows it's not the case. Larry Murphy says Auckland can't build its way out of high prices. House prices are influenced by demand and demand in housing shifts quite rapidly 
increasing population, more migrants, decreasing interest rates. All of these create the conditions for rising house prices. Uh, the tax situation, people's desire to buy more than one house in order to have a rental property, all of these are drivers of demand. So even if we're producing houses, we have to produce really quite large volumes and then that becomes problematic. If it is a volume game, Auckland is still a long way behind. The rise in building consents to more than 8,000 in the last year is still 5,000 short of what's thought to be needed and needed every year for the next three decades. On the supply and demand equation, then, things are still getting worse. The biggest player in Auckland's housing market, the one with real scale, is the government's social housing company, Housing New Zealand. It owns 38,000 homes across the city on 6% of Auckland's residential land. We have a a large development programme underway. We've built in the last couple of years coming up to 300 houses. We've currently got 744 in delivery currently. We've got a further just over 2,500 that we're currently evaluating. So there is quite a significant pipeline of houses coming through. Leonie Freeman is Housing New Zealand's General Manager of Asset Development. The agency's plans for the next few years focuses on several dozen smaller projects using the special housing area status under the Housing Accord, which allows faster and higher density developments. These mostly replace older, outdated rental homes. Leonie Freeman says there are also bigger plans. One of the current ones we're working on now is at Northcote where we own uh, approximately 10 hectares of land and we're looking to do something in conjunction with the council. And what we're trying to do with that sort of thing is have a much wider development horizon on that and and a longer term one so that it's more than just building a few houses on our existing sites but having a much more comprehensive plan to create longer sustainable communities. So there's about seven or eight of these large land holdings that we have throughout the city and we are evaluating when and where we would do those. Northcote on the North Shore could include up to 1,000 homes spread in stages over five to ten years. The biggest potential is in southeastern Glen Innes, where the more than 2,500 state rentals will, over decades, be replaced by up to 7,500 social and owner-occupier homes. The government's transferred the area into a joint venture with the Auckland Council called the Tamaki Redevelopment Company. It will have the biggest single impact on Auckland's housing stock. The company's chief executive, John Holyoke, says there are limits to the pace at which it can happen. Remember, we're going to be doubling the population in Tamaki. So um, to, to do that, we need to make sure that while we're building, there's, a, there's growth with, with those other services. You know, are there enough schools? Is, are there enough places for kids? Um, are the parks suitable? Are there, are there medical um, services available? You know, we're building a whole community, not just a number of houses. He says the scale of the development should allow big companies to build more cheaply. If they've got a guaranteed pipeline over over a longer period of time, that affects the price that they can build at. It also gives them the opportunity to think about um, things differently, you know, um, um, supply chains. And with that, um, we also get um, some other social outcomes becoming available as well. We can start talking to those developers about um, skills to employment, employing locally. Where's the training? What's the relationship with the local school or the um, the MIT college or the campus? Um, how, um, where are you building your factory to support this over the next 10 years. So I think that that 
scale, that commitment, that pipeline provides a whole lot of opportunities for Tamaki, people that live here, but also also those developers, yeah. Housing New Zealand has big land holdings elsewhere in Auckland. Mount Roskill, where large tracts of small ageing bungalows sit on land with prime medium density potential. It's those big development areas that will allow Housing New Zealand to build homes for sale on the open market, as well as replacing its own rental properties, thereby adding to the city's housing stock. Leonie Freeman says that phase could be a way off yet. We've got a 10-year pipeline and some of that is driven by um, the infrastructure constraints. So as, for example, the council puts in the central interceptor big project, which is a, a major one in the central area, that will open up the ability to do quite a bit of development in some of those areas which we've got big land holding. So that's when we would look at not only social housing but the affordable and the market housing at the same time. The agency says one thing holding back some areas are rule changes coming in the unitary plan about the density of development and possible protection for heritage buildings. The council is also some years away from finishing its big central interceptor sewage and stormwater pipeline, another reason Housing New Zealand says it can't move faster. But the proposed heritage and character restrictions don't apply yet and may not survive the hearings and deliberations on the final unitary plan. The council's water and sewerage company doesn't regard the central interceptor a significant block to development and says it would consider plans for larger-scale housing projects in most areas. So is Housing New Zealand moving fast enough and on a big enough scale? Bill English is the minister responsible for the agency. This is an organisation who, uh, for a long time, were they were building two or three hundred new houses a year out of a base of 68,000 back in through 2009-10 where things were pretty tight for government. Uh, there was a bit of a burst of new building prior to that under the previous Labor government, but they haven't really had to deal with the expectation of rapid high quality development that is as much about developing these communities as about replacing their own houses. Mr English says care is needed in relocating tenants during redevelopment, but says the agency's pace could pick up. It's not uh, where we or they would want them to be, but they have ramped up considerably, and uh, you can see through to 2017 at the moment probably somewhere over 2,000 new houses will be built on government land in Auckland. It is possible to go faster. Those are the dis types of discussions that we are having with Housing New Zealand now. Uh, there's been change in personnel on the board there. And so as that settles down, uh, you know, the importance of getting this moving fast is, is a top priority for the government. But we can't forget the tenants. The Auckland Council's been working almost since it was formed five years ago on ways to boost the construction of affordable housing. Some may come in the final version next year of the unitary plan. Ideas such as a requirement for some housing developments to include an affordable quota. The Deputy Mayor, Penny Hulse, says another is an idea called value capture, which would allow the Council to take a slice off land prices which rise because of rezoning. You own a farm, it's worth 15 million, you sell it um, for 
once it's rezoned, then for 50 million. So you've made a very clear profit. We're looking at the way in which that profit can be captured and reinvested into the infrastructure to actually finance the, the buildability of that farmland. Penny Hulse says it's an idea gaining support. A year ago when we when we put it on the table, it was quickly whipped off by government and, and kind of laughed at by developers. It's amazing what a difference a year makes and as the housing crisis really bites and the need for getting infrastructure funded becomes a, a much more well-understood reality. Value capture is being looked at in a far more serious way. The Council's freshly created Urban Development Agency has been given the task of launching the revitalising of some suburban centres. In other words, we can look at the council land that we own. We may need to look at developments that we partner with the private sector in that don't return full market value to ratepayers, and that is what's going to leverage up the, the kind of affordability side of things. It's not without its political debate still to be had, but unless we're prepared to make those differences, we aren't going to get affordable houses delivered. This is the fourth site that the government is announcing today. In May, the Minister of Building and Housing, Nick Smith, launched a programme which may also boost the building of affordable houses. The government is weighing up surplus crown land which might be suitable for housing. The first four blocks identified could accommodate 600 homes. The Tamaki Collective, a grouping of 13 iwi, has emerged as a key player in building affordable housing on this land. A new protocol over surplus crown land gives it the first right as developer. It's exciting because... It helps us achieve a number of objectives. The chair, Paul Majuri, says new sites might not be as large as Waimahia and there's a lot of important details still to come from the Crown that will affect the nature of developments. We have a general sense that the required acquirement of the property will be at commercial rates. We also have a general sense through our agreement as to the social and affordable component, the 20 plus 20 percent, so up to 40 percent. As to the terms of acquisition uh, at the detailed level, uh, the process around that, the milestones as to payments, what ability there is from the Crown to recognise that with a uh, substantial amount of social and affordable housing, how that would be reflected as to price and as to timing. Those are key things that we're looking to see what the Crown delivers. The Green Party says not enough is being done to build affordable housing in Auckland. The only agency with enough uh, financial clout and with anything like a public commitment is the state. The Greens' co-leader and housing spokesperson Materia Ture says the government's current performance is piecemeal. Government is doing the minimum possible it can get away with to meet public concern about the heat in the housing market. They have no plan, they have no overall plan for how housing should look, uh, they will not treat it as core infrastructure for their planning purposes. Housing wasn't in their 30-year infrastructure plan for example and it can be and it should be because uh, housing is critical to the functioning of a decent society. If you have families living in cars and garages as we do now, we have a failed community, um, not a thriving one. The Greens, like Labour, propose building 100,000 affordable homes over a decade for first home buyers. It also backs a rent-to-buy scheme to help low-income earners. The country's biggest home builder, Fletcher Living, believes it can build affordable homes within larger developments. 
Its chief executive, Steve Evans, includes in his background time in London, working on projects that included both free market homes and social housing. I think it's an essential part of providing the community that you provide a, a range of homes at a range of price points. Um, to, to me personally, I think that's part of the success of community building. How do I make sure that I don't end up with getting just a certain type of resident participating in, in, in a subdivision of ours? That you have a balance that, that ranges from those first-time buyers to the, to the last-home buyers, if you like. He points to agreement struck between Fletcher and the government to build more than 230 affordable homes on Crown Land in Christchurch. Steve Evans says the result will be both affordable and good quality. Government provided land, we did the master planning, we provided um, a big parks with great playgrounds um, next well, within them, we provided a cafe next to it, so therefore people would appreciate the public space. And as a result of appreciating using that public space, their own desire for private open space gets lower. So you don't need to provide a 400 square metre backyard, you could provide a 100 square metre or lower so what are the prospects for a significant boost in the building of homes which are affordable to first home buyers like Sebastian and Heather? I think it's really sad. I think it's sad that a normal normal couple, um, yeah, both, both earning money, that it's sad that a lot of people can't do it. And that's why we feel very fortunate that we have been able to do it because it is a sad situation that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that can't do it or, or yeah, have to, have to leave Auckland or... Yeah, I think it's quite a sad situation, really, that it is so unaffordable for a lot of people. There are plenty of good ideas happening, like the blend of low-profit margins, publicly-owned land and home-buyer support schemes that work at Waimahia. The government has an opportunity to do considerably more in the redevelopment of its Housing New Zealand portfolio and using surplus Crown land. The unitary plan will deliver the all-important higher density, even if the scale of the change remains unclear. The council has formed its own urban redevelopment agency. It also has plans such as requiring a proportion of homes in new developments to be affordable and possibly introducing value capture. What remains unclear is whether all of that is on a scale big enough to make even a small inroad into the hundreds of thousands of affordable homes needed over the coming decades. There is optimism. Fletcher Living's Steve Evans says in some respects it could become easier to build affordable housing in Auckland than other cities he's worked in. What we have in Auckland is is a series of institutions and a lot of people that are talking about wanting to get to the right solution. You don't always have that around the world. So I think the intent is there, the desire is there. It's now just a question of how do we how do we make it happen. Auckland University's Larry Murphy is more wary. From a kind of economist type view I feel sometimes that affordability won't happen unless there's a major crisis and even then house prices might drop but that doesn't solve your housing problems you just have people with negative equity and all kinds of problems. But he's encouraged at the level of discussion and thinking going on in Auckland. I think even special housing areas has shown that developers who would have been a bit reticent about these can actually respond and produce affordable housing in the right context when they're forced to in a particular way. Uh, so I think there is opportunities going forward with the right policies and willingness to engage in public-private partnerships that uh, you could provide some, some affordable housing. I don't know if it's going to create a nirvana of wonderful affordable housing and, and great lifestyle in Auckland, 
primarily because I think one of the reasons why Auckland's house prices have gone up is that it's been successful as a city. It attracts people, and as long as it's successful, it puts pressure on the house prices. The Deputy Mayor, Penny Hulse, believes there's greater community support now for higher density with the advantages that brings and that the government is no longer at odds with the council. I feel far more hopeful that we are going to genuinely grasp all of the the challenges that are facing us and hopefully if we can keep it out of the realms of politics and keep it at a a cross-party, rational discussion about what's good for community, we're going to achieve an awful lot more than I thought we would a year ago. I'm Todd Nile, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and compiled this insight, and it was produced by Teresa Cowie.